Welcome, dear listeners. It's uh, been a while since we last convened here in the cavernous womb of filmic tranquility, aka General Admissions HQ, which is in a bunker somewhere deep beneath Canberra, Australia. But there's been a few dramas affecting Canberra, Australia lately, which has probably contributed to this delay. Uh, Bushfires, mainly, and uh, dismally inadequate leadership from our federal government. But also, the Golden Globes have happened, and that in itself is something of a kind of holocaust. (laughs) But, um, (laughs) Damo, did you see the Golden Globes? I I try to avoid the Golden Globes. I'm an Oscars fan, but I... Yeah. Oh no, no. That that you have you've got the uh, the priority hierarchy completely correct there. It it's it, it's always bothered me. Isn't it's Hollywood foreign foreign press that yes. give these awards out? And yes. There's like twelve of them. The HFPA, and it's a shadowy cabal of reviewers and critics like ourselves. There's yes. no different. Yeah. They just sit around and think, "Wow, well, what movie stars could we invite to our award show?" I know. They get a good crowd. Yeah, let's let's nominate the tourist, one of the worst films of that year as best picture, so that Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie will turn up. And but how, how is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a comedy or yes. a musical? There's the other the other thing is the categories um are just so screwy and strange. Um well Taron Edgerton won for Rocket Man, which I was I'll all give, I was on he's board with. Great, yeah. He was that was a top top performance so it was a really good performance but he was nominated. He's the reason i watched it a couple of times it, it is a good performance. yeah oh it's great yeah. he's actually really good yeah. um daniel craig was nominated for knives out which we'll be talking about oh today. yeah yeah benoit blanc and uh roman griffin davis jojo rabbit so he was the le, the lead played uh jojo awesome Betzler. little kid he was a, yeah, yeah. It's really good he was really good. And of course, Leo, Leo DiCaprio was nominated for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Eddie Murphy for Dolomite is my name. They're all good performances. Yeah, that, this is the thing. They're all really great performances. And Joaquin Phoenix, in his category, he was um, best performance in a motion picture. I think it was a drama category. Uh, they are the ones I've just listed, Taron Egerton and Daniel Craig. They're musicals or comedies. I don't quite know. It's such a strange category. But anyway... So uh, they have more attendees to their party. Yeah, they have more attendees to their party. Joaquin Phoenix got up and just basically said, there is no best actor. It's kind of a ridiculous horse race that we're doing. It. And he's, he, he threw a few F-bombs into his speech as oh, well. Good on, I think. Him. good on him. But I think what people don't realise is just how lickered up everybody is in that room because it's yeah. a ballroom at a Hilton. Everyone's so drunk by the time they're handing out it's the It's a awards. long show. What else is That's to right. do? And so they just get tanked. Yeah. And that's probably what makes them is the it most... Is free? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Well, why not? They just they just steam in. You're nominated. Just plow through. Drink lots of uh, liquor and get up on stage and make an embarrassing speech that'll live and haunt you digitally online for for decades. I think uh, the Oscars needs a serious revamp. Maybe they should all get drunk. Get forced to get drunk at bars. The, the Oscars is a it. long show, but it, it's mm. as an award show. At least it's peer voted. Mm. In some respects, I think Gregory Peck was notorious for getting his wife to fill in his ballot. No, really. <laughs> I may, I read that on the internet. It's one of, that's my caveat. It's always I read it on the internet. It must yep. be true. The most delicious thing is those anonymous voter ballots that get leaked, and you can see screenshots of them. You can Google them online if you write anonymous voter ballot Oscars or something, and there's little articles. But some of them are hilarious mm. because these are probably retired old producers that are just like, oh god. Some of them are so insightful. They're just. It's like that. Um, those trailers that um, the honest trailers, yeah. but it's like yeah. that version of that. They'll just write just a 
blah, I voted for this film because I kind of like this lead actor, but he's the other actor in the other one. He's already won an Oscar, so I'm not going to vote for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that, that is how they think. And yeah. um, there's sometimes, you know, but it's been many times. In fact, I think that people have got a, an Oscar for something that they didn't quite earn for yes, that, but yes. we missed you on the yes. when one you got should have got it for. Yep. So here. Cough, yeah. cough, yeah. Judy Dench, cough, cough, Shakespeare in love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I might have to ask the internet exactly how long she appeared for, but it was, she basically did the equivalent of Sean Connery at the end of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, steamed in and said, hi, I'm Queen Elizabeth. And <laughs> they gave her an Oscar for it. Uh, Aquafina won for the Farewell, which is actually quite a great little film. Um, I'm kind of glad that she won, at least it spotlights that film and maybe, you know, gets a bit of notoriety for it. That's a Chinese-American film mm-hmm. about a girl, a Chinese-American girl returning home to her family. Her grandmother lives in China. The family all live in China, all their relatives. And her grandmother's dying and they haven't told her because it's apparently quite... They haven't told grandma. No. And that is apparently sort of a thing that does happen in China yeah. and they because they think it'll be less traumatic for her. And it sort of seems very, uh, doesn't that seem really odd? But anyway, th- that's the conflict, right? Mm. She's from the outside. She's like, you're crazy. Why are you not telling her? And then having to kind of say goodbye without letting on or telling, telling saying the truth. It's very sweet. It's quite funny, but it, um, yeah, bilingual. It does sound interesting, actually. Family drama. It's, I'll just add it to the notebook. Yeah, The Farewell. It's just a, just a little movie. I don't think it's screening. It was on at uh, our local cinemas here, but um, I think it's probably making its transition to streaming. Okay. But yeah, a good example of uh, how that Hollywood Foreign Press goes is Kate Blanchett was nominated for Where Did You Go, Bernadette, which was, most people would sort of go, what? what? <laughs> and that is a good, that's a, that's pretty much a good example of, of what we're talking about. They will nominate an actor of note who is starred in something that has gotten no buzz whatsoever or mm-hmm. very little buzz. It may be a good film. I haven't actually seen it, but it's all about, it's all about getting the stars in the room and getting the eyeballs on the TV set. So the, the, oh, actually, no, I won't say that. I'll get into trouble. Mm. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, don't, say, don't say anything you're going to get into trouble no, for. No. But Aquafina won, but um, Anna de Armas was uh, from Knives Out. She was oh, Anna de Armas. Yeah. Um, she was nominated, and I thought she was actually pretty damn good in Knives Out, and that was a great performance. But Be- Beanie Feldstein also for Book Smart, which is a great little film. Um, if no one's seen that, you should get on it because it's like a female centric super bad. Basically, but it's oh, a lot. Someone smarter. else was telling me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very and related very, it that way. Yeah, it's yeah. a great film, really enjoyable. But no one saw it. It sort of sank without a trace. It's directed by Olivia Wilde, the actress, and uh, that's her first film. It was okay. a really, really great little movie. Book smart. Anyway, we're reviewing today a number of films, but the first one I think that we'll start off with is. Treadstone. This is not a film, it's a TV show. And it's basically, uh, it's USA Network that premiered, actually premiered a little while ago in the US. Interesting things about this. These are the first things that, well, uh, because I'm a massive nerd, uh, I'm a credit nerd. That's how I call it. So yep, I'll, I'll yep. watch the credits. I'll go, oh, that's uh, Santa. Tim Kring. Tim Kring, K-R-I-N-G, created this show. Uh, if you remember Heroes from back in the day, the first series of Heroes, which was a terrific TV show, uh, super-powered people all coming together. It had a great cast um, and uh, it was interesting. He made that. But Tim Kring, he's had a pretty story sort of career. He's worked in TV for quite a while. But he made a show called Crossing Jordan, uh, made a show with Kiefer Sutherland called Touch. 
talented dude, but also on board with this. For anyone who listens to Kevin Smith's podcast, Fat Man Beyond, used to be called Fat Man on Batman, but then Kevin <laughs> Smith had a heart attack and became vegan and lost all that weight, so they changed it to Fat Man Beyond. But his co-host on that is Mark Bernardin, who is a writer. He's a TV writer, and he writes and co-produces for Treadstone. It's a really great show, but basically just an adaptation of the Bourne film series. And when I say adaptation, it's sort of siphoning off. I think it's uh, sort of pre-Bourne, really, isn't it? Well, it's set pre-Bourne. It's like a prequel, but then also set in the present day. Because you hear Treadstone mentioned in a number of those films, and yes. then later Black yeah. Blackbriar. Blackbriar. I think Blackbriar was the the larger the larger kind of plan that was laid out by the the operatives. It's not CIA, is it? It's like some secret sort of sell within the CIA or maybe it is CIA but Treadstone is the training program that gave birth to uh, Jason Bourne and it has it, the idea in the in the Bourne movies anyway that there's other assassins Clive yeah. Owen played one in yeah. the first film he yeah. was great actually yeah. um, so Doug Lyman did the first Doug Lyman did yeah. a really good job he's yeah. a great action director Doug Lyman Clive Owen played another assassin trained in the same program. So the idea is that there was this program. And so there must have been dozens and dozens and dozens of other assassins who were trained. And so this kind of springboards off that and explores the origin story in present day. This is the press release premise. Present day actions of a fictional CIA black ops program known as Treadstone, a covert program that uses behavior modification protocol to, to turn, turn people into assassins, yeah? In nearly superhuman assassins, yeah, yeah. I quite like that. The series follows sleeper agents across the globe as they're mysteriously awakened to the resume their deadly missions. I guess that's all you really need to know, really, before you start watching it. Yeah. And it's good because the fight scenes are tremendous. Oh, so you got for, for, for a TV show, mm. I saw um, one of the stars is um, Brian J. Smith. He, he did mm. a interviewee thing on one of those channel youtube things. And talked about how how much work they went in into put into to make these fight scenes. Two days of shooting for a a ninety second sequence mm. is big for TV. Yeah, it's um that's a lot of work. It means they're trying to be sort of exacting, and they've got a real they want to deliver something uh, very impactful and something you haven't seen in terms of the stunt and, work and, and bouncing around in different time yeah. periods as well. Yeah. That's an interesting thing to do. As I, I can actually think of about three or four other series that do mess around with chronology and tell a story in the present day and in the past or future just and to sort of flip-flop between them. It keeps audiences on their toes. It make I, I, I do quite like it. I like it too. I like the location filming too. They they jump around. This, I think it's Prague and yeah. There's a lot of European locations. That's the other thing that I, I actually took note of. Is this reminds me a bit of Jack Ryan in the way another Amazon show. Yeah, they've they're dropping big budgets yeah. on these shows yeah. because they want them to look like movies. I found it quite compelling and and reading some reviews, people are confused by it. Don't be confused. Just pay attention. Mm. It's actually not that hard to follow. <laughs> it's in, in fact, it's an, I liked that way of telling yeah. the story because you're like, oh, that's, oh, from, yes. ah, from 1972 now. Oh, that's her now. Yeah. And the, the golden rule of, of screenwriting is, you know, always assume that your audience is smarter than you. So you've got to kind of write to a level of specificity or detail that's going to be picked picked up on because when audiences do dig into a show that stuff adds to it yeah you can't you can't write like the 1980s anymore you can't write like it's the a team or something people demand a certain level of uh, intelligence and they want to be treated like they've got the smarts to follow two or three plot threads or even four 
uh, I think there's about four in this. It did remind me a bit of Sense8. That's why I chuckled when I saw Brian J. Smith, because this idea of disparate assassins or people in different countries and yeah. cultures all around the world, and this sort of it's multilingual. Yes, because um, North Korea is one of the countries. North Korea is one yeah. of the countries, and you do get this uh, kind of melting pot of uh, looks and feels and textures and tones of all these different settings, and that, I did, I enjoy that. So oh. yeah, globe trotting. Yeah, and I just I would ignore the the negative about it, and at, at the very least you'll enjoy it because of how it looks and and the action spectacle that it provides and the locations. You, you it mm. should I had fun with it. I thought it was good. I thought it was terrific, actually. I really enjoy the sort of hard I haven't edge. read anything about Series 2. Mm. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's, uh, that, I don't think that's been announced. It's possible that you know, Amazon tend to give their shows a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a kick. Like they tend to just commit to doing well, um, at least two seasons of something. They sort of give it a push. Uh, yeah, so, I'd like to see more. I, I, I enjoyed it. So. Yeah, look, I, I think we may see another season of it. I hope so because I, I think it's got a lot of potential in terms of if you want to – grow it and you know if you're setting something in in the case of this show 1973 and then present day i'm sure we're going to see stuff set in the 80s and in the 90s you could just sort of you could pick timelines and different yeah time periods and then and the other good thing about it even if you haven't seen the born films you it doesn't matter because hmm. it, it works on its own yeah and if you're into the whole MK Ultra CIA, uh, <laughs> you know, training people to, um, you know, remote viewing and all these strange things that the CIA in reality did investigate, um, yeah, you'd probably you, you'd be into it because it's all from that. It's that kind of tone and feel. It's very hard edged, hard boiled sort of spy antics and action. And there's a nuclear weapon for sale. Yes, oh yeah, that's always good. Yeah, yeah, it's really really good, really worth checking out. Treadstone. And that's currently on Amazon Streaming. And the next film we're going to review is Jojo Rabbit. Here's Marshall Jojo. You're a top man. Prepare to leave the house. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, <laughs> ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ! Of course you can. comes to. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Kids, it's time to burn some books. You're growing up too fast. Ten-year-olds shouldn't be celebrating war and talking politics. Hitler. I wish more of our young boys had your blind fanaticism. <laughs> Did you know Jews can read each other's minds? But how would you know if you saw one? They could look just like us. Hi. <laughs> you know what I am? Sid. A Jew. Gesundheit. Sheesh, that was intense. What am I going to do? No idea. Got it! I was negotiating. Burn down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Or negotiate. If I tell on you, you'll be in big trouble. They'll never win. Love is the strongest thing in the world. Your mother took me in. She's kind. She treats me like a person. You two seem to be getting on well. She doesn't seem like a bad person. I'm the enemy. You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a 10-year-old kid. 
who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. <laughs> uh, that trailer just took me back to the film. It's quite good. It is. It is. And I guess, uh, look, keeping things relatively spoiler-free, so I'm yep. going to give away at least the, the first 10 or 15 minutes of the film as I describe the setup. So if you want to com be completely spoiler-free, then go watch the film and come back and hear our review. Or skip forward 30 seconds. But Johannes Jojo Betzler is a 10-year-old boy living in Nazi Germany during the later stages of World War II with his mother, Rosie, played by Scarlett Johansson. His long-absent father is referred to by various characters as serving on the Italian front, but he's lost all contact uh, with his family. So the father is absent. And his older sister, Inga, has recently died from influenza. And the jingoistic Jojo often talks with his imaginary friend, uh, an earnestly supportive but very childish version of Adolf Hitler, played by the director Taika Waititi. And Jojo, played by Roman Griffin, Dave, Roman Griffin Davis, and his best friend Yorkie, who you just heard at the very end of that trailer there, played by Archie Gates, he's very funny, yeah. attend a Hitler Youth training camp run by the one-eyed Wehrmacht Captain Kleisendorf, played by <laughs> Sam Rockwell. And played well by Sam Rockwell. Sam, yeah, yeah, wonderfully. And when Jojo is ordered to kill a rabbit by an older Hitler Youth member, he tries to release it and let it go, um, and he is unable to do that. Uh, and he runs off crying with the other boys taunting him with the name Jojo Rabbit. Uh, like he's a scared little rabbit. So after a pep talk from Adolf, Jojo returns and uh, kind of summons himself. He tries to be a man and ends up throwing a grenade without permission, which uh, bounces off a tree and explodes. And it does uh, injure him somewhat, leaves him with facial scars and a slight limp. And so when Jojo recovers, uh, his mother, Rosie, asks Kleisendorf, played by Sam Rockwell, who's been demoted after the uh, grenade incident because it obviously showed he was pretty crap at um, keeping track of what these kids are doing. And uh, to, he wants, her, wants him to make her son feel included despite the fact that he's injured. So Jojo is given little tasks such as spreading propaganda leaflets throughout the town and collecting, collecting scrap metal for the war effort. Um, and he contributes in that way. And that's kind of how the story begins. So Jojo's at home alone one day. Uh, he hears noises. Um, he finds a hidden a false wall, a yes. false floor, yes. and he discovers the seams of a door, and he actually forces it open, goes in, and he's in, in, in the walls of his house, there's actually a hidden space where a young Jewish girl, teenage Jewish girl, and his late sister's uh, former classmate, Elsa, is hiding and Jojo then initially threatens to turn her over to the Gestapo 
but Elsa warns that his mother would probably then be killed for hiding her. So Jojo agrees to keep her secret and to keep her safe on the condition that he reveals her quote-unquote Jew secrets to him so he can write a book for Kleisendorf for the Nazis that informs them on how this apparently quote-unquote evil of Jews in our world and what they are what they are doing and what evil superpowers they have. And apparently... This is a real thing where the youth in Nazi Germany were taught that Jews had powers such as mind reading and shape shifting. It was crazy. And so this film does make light of that, but that actually was a real thing. So I guess the first thing you have to kind of wrap your brain around with uh, Jojo Rabbit is the context. And the context is Taika Waititi is half Jewish. His mother was Jewish. Taika Waititi's name is Taika Cohen. One of the initial short films he made under the name Taika Cohen was uh, nominated. And he was actually at the Academy Awards. And when it cut to the nominees, he pretended he was asleep. (laughs) um, which apparently I read in this article he had tried to work out with a whole bunch of the other nominees so when it cuts to us we'll all pretend to be asleep he's the only one that did it yeah sure and he was the only one that did it (laughs) it does make me laugh thanks guys yeah so you get on YouTube and if you Google you know if you search for that on YouTube I'm sure you'd find it it's a pretty funny clip from the Oscars 2005 I think it was Oscars so Discussing the nature of the comedic tone in this, and and this is part and parcel to the criticism that's leveled against the film, and it basically, is it okay to laugh at this? Yes. Yeah, well, you've pretty much answered the question. I was going to be a little more ruminating in the discussion. But but I just, uh, some critics have gone completely bonkers the other direction. Yes. But the trailer itself... I was in America before the film came out and they were promoting it heavily, Mm. quite heavily. Mm. And the trailer had me, I'm like, I I need to see this based on who's in it, who directed it, what it's about. Because you know you're going to get a ride when you go to a Taika film. You're going to get something different, something unique. Yes. If you go in with the right head, you're going to be okay. Mm. But it's not the first time. Springtime for Hitler. Mm. The producers, it was done a long time ago. Yes. Well, actually, I write for filmink.com, full disclosure, and Dov Cornitz wrote an opinion piece regarding Jojo Rabbit. He said, uh, stylistically, it doesn't does not refer to the look of the film, like this. he's talking about the style, but he thinks it's second to none, reminiscent of Wes Anderson's heightened, immaculately production-designed quirkiness, which I would agree with. Yeah, it, yeah. it does have a very Moonrise Kingdom vibe to it. And a use of classic songs sung in German, for one. Stylistic flourishes such as Waititi bringing attention to himself through a weird visual juxtaposition of Hitler with shots of himself as the character, along with a to-camera moment at the end of the film, take you out of the story rather than being exhilarating, as was no doubt intended. I agree with that. I'll read the whole thing. Various pundits and Waititi himself have spoken about Jojo Rabbit as a warning against indoctrination at a time when politicians around the world are scaring the middle and lower classes with threats of outsiders taking their jobs and their homes. There's never been a better time to heed this warning. However, Jojo Rabbit is not that film because it is not brave enough to spell it out in a clear enough way for audiences to take away with any conviction. It's all surface level with nothing underneath. In this way, it's reminiscent of a recent of the recent Green Book, which audiences and awards voters adored despite its surface level treatment of America's racist past. And he goes on to state that the, the film is ethically problematic in its trivialization of such a horrendous part of our history. End quote. 
I can totally see that, you can, that perspective. You can. It's it's hard but, to quantify because we are talking about humor here, right? And this is such yes. a personal thing. It's difficult to. Well, there is that. Everyone, you know, I could tell you a joke and the person next to you laughs and you won't. But, yeah. But Tiger's playing Jojo's imaginary friend that happens to be Hitler. Mm. It's not, it's a 10-year-old's version yes. of what he thinks yeah. Hitler is. Mm. He's 10. It's not Hitler. It's his imaginary friend. Mm. I, the, the separation's pretty clear to you. For, for me, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. A.O. Scott uh, in, in New York Times, he actually wrote, Sweetness and charm may not be the notes you want or expect in a movie about genocide and fascism. And there are times when the mood turns sticky and soft, straying a bit too close to the cloying kitsch of Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful. Uh, YTT is trying for a tricky blend of tones, and Jojo Rabbit is sharpest when it dares to be funny. Laughter is inherently violent as well as potentially soothing. And the most farcical aspects of Jojo's world are also the most terrifying. Without resorting to graphic imagery or re replicating the sadism of its villains, the movie paints a credible, if unabashedly cartoonish, picture of the workings of an evil system. The particulars of the evil can seem curiously abstract and the portrayal of goodness can feel a bit false and forced. The outlandishness of anti-Semitism is emphasised. The idea that Jews have horns, for instance, to the exclusion of its less superstitious manifestations, and Elsa's Jewishness has no real content. She exists mainly as a teaching moment for Johannes. Her plight is a chance for him to prove his bravery. This isn't offensive exactly. The spirit of the movie is too warm and the filmmaking intelligence too invigorating to provoke a strong objection. But it is a little disappointing. The humour is so audacious and the psychological insight at times so startling that it's hard not to be dismayed when an easy and familiar dose of comfort is supplied at the end. And I thought that was quite interesting. I don't agree with everything he's saying. No, there, I don't either. But, but I love that the way he sums it up. We're saying that it isn't offensive exactly because the spirit of the movie is too warm and the filmmaking yeah, intelligence yeah. too invigorating. Absolutely nails that because it's even I had that moment where I'm sitting there watching it. You are aware. You're just thinking, okay, these are Nazis they're depicting. There's real atrocities they're depicting. And there are atrocities that are depicted in the film that you do see. I mean, it's quite obvious where he does mention, and A.O. Scott mentions in what I just read, about Elsa's Jewishness has no real content and she's existing as a teaching moment for Johannes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah she is. I mean, that's the whole... For me, that is the kind whole, of the point of that. That's the point of the story and, and the film. I was just talking to a work colleague the other day and she said that she took her young kids to see it, teenage, young teenagers, and they loved it. Yeah. And if it, it look, if anything is going to get that message, that sort of, and I think this is being marketed really well as, as also, it does call itself an anti-hate satire yep. on the poster, which I thought yep. was very clever to market it so so succinctly like that. Get your point across. And jumping that hurdle, the, is the film enjoyable? Yes, yeah. it's lovely and it's funny and and it is warm and it's sweet, but it's also it does have some truly mellow well, I guess it's melodramatic but it's sad and it is it, it did have a lot of um sort of gut punch moments that I I felt yeah, there's that one moment as well that just you just when yes. Jojo see I won't give it away but yeah. he sees something Features and you like butterfly and yeah. that oh. moment kind of broke me when I saw the film yeah. I have to admit that that was that was the moment and it wasn't just that it was the it involves uh, shoelaces also and I just was it was very moving and sweet and almost in a sort of chaplain esque way. And there is a hug involved in the sequence as well, this kind of 
impassioned like latching on hug mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Uh, the the character of Jojo does, and it reminded me of the film with Chaplin and the young Jackie Cooper called The Kid. A almost overwhelming sense of love and warmth to it, and that's what I loved that A.O. Scott picked up in his review as well. He kind of articulated something that I was. Really uh, and I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone that they sh- should like it. If you have a problem with it, then that's going to be fine yes. too. Yeah, because yeah. I can I can see that. Mm. But for me. It was, I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It is a fantastic film. I, I did, I did love it quite a lot. I love the influence of Hal Ashby on Taika Waititi as well. Hal Ashby's great. Yeah. He definitely has, he did definitely has that quality in his films. So at Harold least and Maud. Yeah. Yeah. And the being, last detail. Last detail being yeah. there. Um, he does have that kind of edge to his stuff when, especially when he's going more for drama, like in Hunt of the Wilder People, Hunt for the Wild People as well. He did that. Uh, we'll use that kind of tone, very Ashby-esque. Uh, I mean, in terms of the comedic tone, I disappeared down a bit of a rabbit hole. There, there's a 2016 doco, actually, about this topic that we're talking about. The off-limits nature to Holocausts as a subject that has to be treated with a certain reverence. And if there's any straying in, when it comes to satire, if you want to depict something, it gets to very prickly territory. And the Last Laugh was a 2016 doco, and it was written and directed by Fern Perlstein, who interviewed a lot of Jewish comedians, ranging from Mel Brooks to mm-hmm. Sarah Silverman, etc., as well as Jewish Holocaust survivors, anti-racism activists, all asking this sort of question of, is this appropriate subject, is it an appropriate subject for humor? And there's a lot of comic material in the doco. Um, let's, you know, everyone's familiar with Seinfeld's Soup Nazi, yep. um, which uh, apparently Ros Weinman, who was in charge of standards and practices at NBC at the time, regrets approving that as she believes it sort of passed into pop culture and ends up trivializing the Holocaust. And this is an interesting topic to me. I, I find this why the, as soon as you do. Humor, people do cite the producers a lot and the springtime for Hitler and the way that Mel Brooks treats the subject in that in terms of using it to siphon off laughs. This doco also features Joan Rivers in, in 2013 and her infamous one-liner about Heidi Klum, the model slash TV presenter. Joan Rivers referred to Heidi Klum as the last time a German looked this hot was when they were pushing Jews into ovens. And um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, but Joan Rivers can pull that off because yes, she's yeah. Jewish, and it's Joan Rivers, and the audio, you can hear the oxygen being sucked out of the room when she says it, and it's just oh, you know, and Sarah Silverman obviously she has her whole style of humor is sort of transgressive, button pushing. But is it humor is a, a, a way that you can? How else do you talk about this subject mm. without it being? Yes. So you, you talk about it to 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 make people aware that it happened without making everyone cry. Yeah, it's difficult because there's two things being mixed together. Um, one is an undeniably awful event in our recent history, and the death of you know six million Jews plus yeah. millions of other people as yeah. well. And it's being mixed with humour. I mean, to me, I do kind of associate Jewish humour and that dark pitch black humor i think it kind of comes from jewish jewish comedy and the, the sort of darkness around it laughing well, if, in you, the if face. you're surrounded by darkness what yeah. else have you got yeah. or you're sort of laughing into the void yeah you know and that's something. I, I was in poland i went to a, a museum yeah holocaust museum well and in fact it was just a i think it was just a synagogue and on the 
the walls, there was many, many, many thousands of names. Mm. And I have never, my grandmother left Poland, came to Australia. That's how I'm here because my dad came with her. Mm. And seeing all these names on the wall that are close to Poromka. Mm. No, I didn't quite see my surname, but very similar. I had to leave. Wow. Like that, that. You have the arenas, the areas to go and if you, you know, to see this history and it, it needs to be told, mm. you know, we, we can't not talk about it, but the, like right now I'm getting emotional about it, but so why not have comedy at, yes. at the other side of that? Yeah. It, it seems like, I mean, we're not discussing this as like a standalone film and there's been no other films or TV shows or plays or books that have, or, 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 or Exactly. Or comics, if you want to talk about Mouse, M-A-U-S. If you've never read that graphic novel, I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. But there's many different expressions in pop culture of the Holocaust story. And it's that's that's the thing. It's, this is not like it's the first discussion. It's not like it's a comedy about the Armenian massacre. No. Right? Where people are not really aware at all. There's not... You have to go digging and find information on it and get, you know, drill down and, and disappear into a rabbit hole. It's not like this is, you know, something that's being introduced to on a, on a mass scale to audiences who aren't aware of anything that it's discussing. This is something kids are learning about in school. You know, this is still in the popular conversation. And that's what's important. It needs to be remembered. I, I just think this is a treatment of it. Whether or not you're going to laugh at it, well, yeah, that's a different kettle of fish. But laughter, I guess that's what my point was before. It's a mix yeah. of two things. You've got this awful event and you've got the comedy attached to it. And there's something about comedy where it's like horror. Your reaction to it is you you cannot force it or pretend. If so, If you hear a joke and you find it funny, you instantaneously laugh. And there's something very truthful about that. And I think that uh, that's certainly what the appeal to comedians is and, and why they actually do it um, for I stand-up. Think, yeah, sorry. That's all right. No, no just, I just... Tiger's made... Tiger with he's made a, a good film here. Mm. And... It's moving. I mean, that's, that's the thing is that you can't deny... Um, it's funny The emotions and, and the impact. Yeah. yeah. If I was a young teenager, it would... Yeah, I would find it quite powerful and moving because it is presenting you with some quite confronting imagery as well as being quite uh, picture book and almost like a fairy tale in its style sometimes. There's, there's also a couple of little moments that happen. There's a Sam Rockwell moment mm. that happens, not to give anything away there, that was really enjoyable. In, in fact, two. There was yes. two moments, particularly with me, that yeah. I was just like, oh, that, I see that. There was a moment towards the end that yeah. I found quite moving. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, it, to me, it involved his character seemingly, well, not seemingly, he is aware of what he is, what yeah. he's done, what has happened, and yeah. he's aware that almost of his own complicity. Uh, yeah, Sam Rockwell's character had a lot of pathos. Well, actually, that just reminds me of the th- uh, third Sam Rockwell moment, the, mm. the birth certificate. But Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, there's some funny. There are some funny scenes. There is a scene involving uh, German shepherds, which does make me laugh and giggle. And I also, time. I think Rebel Wilson, and uh, we haven't mentioned her as yeah. well because she was. I thought she was good. She was pretty good. Uh, uh, that I line. To... Okay, kids, it's time to burn some books. <laughs> <laughs> she plays uh, Fraulein Rahm, who's um, a sort of an instructor at the Hitler Youth Camp, and uh, also Alfie Allen from uh, Game of Thrones is also playing uh, Finkel, who's the second in command to Sam Rockwell's captain. And look, I 
I also think Scarlett Johansson is terrific in this. Yeah, she's lovely. There's a couple of sequences that I found really sweet and moving with her. Um, like she is a terrific actor. I do think that in terms of all the stuff I've been articulating about the criticism leveled at it and this question of, is it okay to laugh at it? I mean, my personal feelings is... I say yes. There is no topic off limits to humour. Yeah. It is all about the single question. Is it funny? Yep. If it's not funny, then it's been unsuccessful. But if it made you laugh, then, like I said, you can't fake that. that. That's not something you can be... Um, duplicitous about you can't pretend that you found something hilarious it either made you laugh or not either elicited those laughs or not in saying that it's funny I just I was just sitting here thinking what would my if my grandmother was still alive today Mm. and was watching that film what would she think now I don't think she she was there so I don't think she would necessarily laugh so Mm. I can see why people might not find it funny. Yes. I don't think Taika Waititi has, has transgressed in any dramatic way. I think he is he himself has Jewish heritage. This is a, a book that was given to him by his mother. It has that connection. It is about a mother and a son. I can see why it had emotional kind of appeal to him mm-hmm. and why he chose to make it. It felt it just feels honest. To me it's also the it's the intentions, it's about what the filmmakers are trying to do. I personally did not like Life is Beautiful. I found that uh, so overpoweringly sickly sweet. I just, I, I just can't, couldn't bear it. It was just a bit like... I thought, I thought it was too much. It was yeah. like his acceptance speech at the Oscars. That was, was just like, get out, get security, get him out of the room. He's, he's, on the, he's climbing on he's, the furniture. Yeah, he was like, just like the end of Crocodile Dundee at that uh, subway station. He's climbing on actors' heads to yeah. get to the front. It was just like... It's a little bit too much. Dude. I, I, I haven't seen that probably since... And I, I don't know whether I would rewatch it because yeah. I thought it was it was fine. To but me, not. that flat out that flat out used uh, Holocaust Holocaust iconography, if you mm. want to call it that, imagery to to get laughs. It was set in a freaking death camp, and it had yeah. humorous scenes with Nazi. That to me was just trampling all over the sensitivities. I guess that we're discussing here. I just don't think Jojo Rabbit, with the intentions of the filmmaker behind it and what it's trying to teach a younger generation who are probably going to be exposed to it and see it, I just think its intentions are so honourable and I found it so moving. I can totally understand why someone yeah, That's a nice line. Its intentions are honourable. Mm. I think uh, in terms of recommendations, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. You know, I, The thing that also, like, because the trailer also mm. played there, we had the German... Beatles and we had German yes. and David Bowie. It's a great soundtrack. The, yeah, the music budget must have been quite I know. big. <laughs> well, um, this is Fox Searchlight, which is now Disney. So Fox oh, Searchlight, okay. which has shepherded a lot of Oscar-winning lower-budget films, is now owned by a, a bit of a corporate behemoth. So they clearly had a hand in the marketing because it's very smartly marketed. I have to kind of you know, take I, 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 that. I do say the TV commercials every time. It didn't matter. It's the mm. same ad. Mm. I watched it. <laughs> yeah. It is great. And yeah. Taika is a very improvisational director and he has that style. So it's no surprise that... Um, well, we've enjoyed... I think we've we've discussed his films before because we're talking... Uh, what They Do in the Shadows. Is that what it's called? Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, yes. Yeah, that, that was fun. One of my favorite comedies. And the TV series on FX is also similarly hilarious. Boy... Yes, boy. Hunt for uh, the Wilder People. Hunt for the Wilder People. Eagle versus Shark, which was one, I think, his first film. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, got uh, Jermaine Clement in it. Thor. Oh, Ragnarok. That was 
fun. And that's the one of those yes. ones that I enjoyed. I thought it was yeah. fun. And he'll do the upcoming Thor Love and Thunder, which okay. will feature Natalie Portman. He was the big rock yeah. creature in that, wasn't he? Yes. Oh, he's in the Marvel Universe. He's Korg. <laughs> hilarious. As so, Korg, he, he is hilarious, especially when he's playing Fortnite. I Avengers will watch whatever, whatever he makes. Whatever he chooses to make, there's I'll a, have a look because, there's wow. a gentle There's a gentle humor and sort of a gentle kind of absurdist humor in his that, that, that he abuse in everything he makes and I just find it irresistible I think and, uh, I think Boy's Tremendous I love that film yeah, that had real significance for me because obviously I grew up I'm, I'm a New Zealander and so you grow, a young boy in the 80s growing up in New Zealand you know all the New Zealand TV shows that they depict mm. while you know he's watching on TV it was a, a bit of a nostalgia trip for me and he's great in that as well Taika playing uh, a dad his yeah. dad a little boy's father um, he's a terrific director, um, but and Jojo Rabbit's very much in keeping with his style. I've actually got a clip of him here talking to BBC oh, Radio. Oh, yeah, I'd like to hear that. Yeah, he's talking to BBC Radio 1's Ali Plum about how he approached the construction of Jojo Rabbit. Uh, well, all my films are really, I think, built in the edit. You know, I like mm -hmm. to think that the scripts are perfect, but they're not. And so once we get into the edit, that's where, like, I think all the hard work begins. Um, like, what we do in the shadows took 14 months to edit, um... You know, Thor was, a, was a, like a year-long process to, to finish that. Um, and this one was about eight or nine months, I'd mm -hmm. say, to, 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 just to find that tone and find that balance. Because, you know, I think with the, with the subject matter and with this kind of film, you know, it's, you, can't, you can't make it you know, a straight-up comedy and also it's not my style to just make a, you know, a straight drama as well. So it's about like staying true to my, you know, my style and, and my voice and... And also making something that, that I guess means something. Well, he has. It does mean something. It does. And um, I'm I was quite fascinated to, when I heard that. Yeah, it, he spends a lot of time in the edit. I thought, wow. That's, yeah, that, but that's nice to that's hear. I'm an time. editor by profession, yes. so it's really good to hear. It's, yeah. Look, you know, um, I'm sure uh, Stanley Kubrick would uh, agree wholeheartedly with him. You know, films are made in the edit. Well, I, as I've, I think I mentioned to you one time <clears> before, is uh, Martin Scorsese and his editor, uh, Thelma Schoonmaker. They were over, I think it was Raging Bull, they were having a, an mm. argument for discussion, heated discussion, we, we should call it, over a frame. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, don't you love it when people care that much? I yes, was, I that, do. That's, what that's is, why you, know? you get what the quality you get. I think, uh, someone questioned Stanley Kubrick about his, um, his uh, control freakery on the films, and he said, you either care. Or you don't, yeah, and I love that because yeah. it does come down to that, and especially if it's something so finite and transient as a film production, it's like, well, so what? You're taking a couple of years. It is, it is millions of dollars. It's yeah. like it does. It is quite hilarious that they only have months in terms of time frames to make these things and crank them out, and he's spending a year in the edit. But no, that's tremendous. You know, that's that's just his style. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. So, yeah, so I recommended this film. Oh, Jojo I, Rabbit, yeah, absolutely. I, I was tremendously moved by it. I think it was see sweet. It again, actually. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a worth a, a rewatch, and it's moving. It's funny. Um, it's very sweet, and yeah, what I love about it is it exposes younger audiences to this time period and to the events in that are depicted. What it made me think is this would make kids ask questions of their parents if they saw this film, and that's the most important thing. My family, my my. Uh, Polish grandmother mm. and grandfather mm. wasn't talked about. Yeah, and that's that's fine because yeah. of where they. I get that, but mm. it's now further in the past. 
and yeah. raising an awareness to, to educate, mm. to, to ensure potentially, hopefully, this never happens again. Yeah, well, those who do not remember the past, doomed to repeat. So that's our reviews for this particular general admissions podcast. And uh, I hope you take our recommendations and use them accordingly. You can check out our older podcasts and uh, my other print reviews and movie radio reviews at generaladmissions.org. Yes, and do yourself a favor. Do yourself a favor, Australia, as Molly Meldrum would say. <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter at Jared Walker. That's double R O D as an overdose. And Damo, where can people follow? I'm your on the Twitter. Activities? Yeah, I do. It's uh, at Damo Loves Movies. There you go. That's a pretty simple one, everyone. Well, we hope you have a fantastic filmic future, everybody, and uh, enjoy watching movies. And we'll speak to you again. Bye bye.